Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray, Holy Spirit, come. Come and fill our hearts. Open up your word. Speak through this sermon, Lord. Let's let all of us that have eyes see and ears hear what you have to tell us about our childlike hope in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. This is my first Sunday to, to actually get up here and preach in front of y'all. So, thank you. It's, it's been a long time coming. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but for me it has been, for sure. Um, in preparation for today, um, lots and lots of prayer. Um, met with Dustin. He gave me a few pointers, and I tried to incorporate as many of those as I could. Uh, met with William. He gave me a few pointers, and I didn't incorporate one thing he said. I had to. But in all seriousness, the Holy Spirit put on my heart an illustration, and when I met with them, I'm like, I'm praying really hard to change this illustration. This is not an illustration that you'd usually have in July. It's usually something you would see at Christmas time. And this illustration, it's Holy Spirit inspired, and he wouldn't take it away, so here it goes. Who's ever seen the movie Elf with Buddy the Elf? Yeah, that's a good July, you know, topic there. Um, what Christmas in July? Thank you, William. You finally you saved me on that one. So, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's not not crazy when it comes to that. Um, if you've never seen it, it's a story of an elf um, raised by as an infant by or story of a human raised as an infant by elves in the North Pole. Um, many years later. He finds out that he's actually a human, and he desires to go to New York City to, to find his real father. Um, and as he does that, he, he has absolutely no clue what the cultural norms are in modern-day New York. In a very childlike manner of awe and wonder and mystery, Buddy does everything he can to find and establish a relationship with his dad, uh, from walking into a Manhattan office wearing an elf costume to making them breakfast one morning with spaghetti noodles, candy, and maple syrup, and furnishing this beautiful rocking horse uh, made with his dad's office furniture. But the main crux of the story is that everyone in the modern-day culture had lost their hope in what Buddy calls the Christmas spirit. And by the end of the story, Buddy, in his childlike way, has established a relationship with his dad and renewed a large portion of of at least New York City, um, in their childlike hope in this Christmas spirit. All in all, Buddy the Elf is a story about hope, this childlike hope. And the main question we seek to answer today is, in what or in whom do we place our hope? Now, C.S. Lewis liked to remind his readers that myths, like Buddy the Elf, contain nuggets or glimpses of the truth. They act as pointers to the real truth while not containing the whole truth. This is what draws us into stories like this. This is why you watch it every Christmas. This is why your kids watch superhero movies and stuff. They contain nuggets of truth, just not the entire whole truth. And Lewis points out that in today's scripture readings and scripture as a whole, they have one distinct difference in these myths. And that is what we read this morning actually happened. So this morning, I want to walk through our Old Testament reading of Abraham's hospitality to the Lord in Mamre in parallel with Luke's gospel story of Mary and Martha's hospitality. Two stories that demonstrate human beings receiving their Lord in hospitality. 
do, in doing so, we will see many of the same elements we find in Buddy the Elf. One, we will see them receiving our Lord in a very childlike fashion, throwing caution to cultural norms of the day. Two, we will see in our Old Testament passage, as Dustin Messer preached last Sunday, that the Old Testament points to the need for today's New Testament passage. And three, we'll see in both of them examples of misplaced hope, which invites us to ask the most important of questions that we said earlier. In whom or in what do we place our hope today? As we dive into Genesis this morning, we find Abraham sitting in the door of his tent on a hot day. As he sees three strangers approaching, he obviously does the cultural norms of his day. He talks to his servants and says, go out and meet them, find out what they need, and show them hospitality by providing them food and water, right? That's not true at all. I'm joking. Ha ha, that's that's a joke. It's a tough crowd in here, really tough crowd. But no, we find Abraham running to them. That's not something that you would find as a cultural norm for someone who is the leader of his family or clan at this period in time. We see him, when he gets there, he bows down to them. Again, that's not a cultural norm to do. He serves them, and he watches them. He lets them eat, and he's there to to be with their needs. And again, that's not the cultural norm of a day for someone who's a leader like Abraham, an elder statesman. Abraham is approaching the Lord, Yahweh, in a very childlike manner with awe, excitement, joy, love, and mystery. He doesn't even take a moment to think about what he should be doing as a man of his status. He runs and cannot wait to greet them and bow to them. Abraham is receiving God in a very childlike manner. We see an example of this in our New Testament passage. As well, here we find two different approaches to hospitality shown to our Lord. The first example shows us Martha, who is following the accepted cultural practices of hospitality. As a first century Jewish female, she would be expected to prepare the food and drink to serve the guests and make sure they had all their needs met. This would even be heightened and stressful knowing that you're serving Jesus and you would be wanting everything to be perfect. However, we see Mary approaching the hospitality a little differently. She's not helping Martha with the meal preparation. She is not following the standard cultural practices of her day. Instead, she's approaching her interaction with the Lord in a very childlike manner by sitting at Jesus' feet and soaking up his teachings. She's feeding on his word instead of preparing food for him. This is not what a first century Jewish culture would allow for a female. Not only do we have the fact that Mary is neglecting her duties and preparing the meal with Martha, but females were not to sit at the teacher's feet and be a disciple. Mary, like Abraham, took a very childlike approach to receiving her Lord. Like a child, she's so in awe and excited that she's oblivious to the fact that she isn't following the cultural norms. She knows who Jesus is. She has this sense of wonder and mystery. In his presence, and she will sit at his feet and soak up every word coming from him. She is experiencing exactly what Jesus says when he states in all three synoptic gospels, but here's a few kind of highlights of them. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's from Matthew. Another one from Matthew. Let the children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And eight chapters later here in Luke, from where we are today, Truly, I tell you, anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. 
Now, let me be clear. Christ is not saying, let me be very, very clear. He is not saying that we're to be naive, uneducated, or aimlessly wandering through life. That's not at all what Christ is saying there. Remember, he said that we are, in fact, to be innocent as doves, but also what? As wise as serpents. Yet the Gospels are clear that Jesus highlighted how we're to receive him and to approach him. And that is in a childlike manner, who does not put our hopes and dreams on things of this world with its cultural norms in which the world says we should place our hope. So let us now forget what culture is saying and approach God from a childlike perspective of all wonder and mystery. When we do, we find our second element present in today's readings. Abraham's encounter with God is a signpost pointing to our need for Jesus. In today's passage in Genesis falls right on the heels of God's covenant with Abraham. In our passage, we do not see Abraham pack up his tent and run from God. We see him run to God, the Lord that just changed Abraham's name and promised him land, descendants, and blessings. Abraham, an unlikely candidate for this promise, a man who lied on multiple occasions about his wife being his sister, and a man who just paragraphs before this one did not even trust the Lord enough uh, to give him a son with Sarah and took matters in his own hands, this flawed Abraham still found favor in the eyes of the Lord even after all of this. He still, like a child, runs to greet the Lord and bow down. God's faithfulness to Abraham, God's covenantal promise to Abraham, is pointing to God's faithfulness to his creation as a whole. In spite of the fact that Abraham and every human being that's ever walked the face of this planet is unfaithful to him, the Lord is faithful to us. This passage points to and highlights the fact that we cannot fulfill God's covenant. Even the most faithful of servants will fail as demonstrated in all the pages of these Bibles that we have in our hands today. God provides Abraham with descendants as numerous as the stars. God blesses his people and dwells in their presence in the tabernacle and the temple. God leads them into the promised land in order to be a blessing to all nations. However, when humans take things into their own hands, when humans lose this childlike approach of wonder, awe, and mystery to God's kingdom, in short, when humans put hope in themselves instead of God, we find these descendants asking for a human king. We find them losing God's blessing. We find them losing the promised land. And we find Abraham's descendants annihilated, dispersed, in exile, and God's presence no longer dwelling in the temple. We find that human beings cannot do it on their own merit. The covenant with Abraham is a direct signpost to humanity's need for a Messiah, the need for a true king, the need for a true savior, the need for one who is king to all nations, not just Israel. This passage is a signpost to where we find Mary and Martha in the presence of the Lord Almighty, God on earth, the true king, the true Messiah, the true Savior, Jesus Christ, fully human, yet fully divine. The ultimate fulfillment of the covenantal promise made to Abraham. It is because of this covenantal promise to Abraham and Jesus Christ's ultimate fulfillment of that promise that we find the ultimate answer to whom we place all our hopes and dreams. And that is on God himself. That is Jesus Christ. Not some human king, not our bank accounts, not our own knowledge, not our education, our human capital, I can keep going on, but on the risen Christ. Nine times out of ten, if we're truly honest with ourselves, we daily put our hopes in something other than Christ. 
But God's word is incredibly clear on this point, and there is only one answer to the question posed to us today. In whom do we place our hope? And the answer is the risen Christ. To highlight this, let us look at the words that the Lord speaks to Abraham and to Martha in our passages that we read today. The Lord states to Abraham that he will give Sarah a son in her old age. Now, Sarah does what any one of us today would do if we were there and heard what was said to her. Sarah laughs. Let us not be too quick to judge, though, for they had the benefit of, in my Bible right here, it's 14 pages of God's history with humanity. Genesis 18. They had 18 chapters of Genesis. We have the entire meta-narrative of God's work through humanity called the Bible. We know a little bit about God's character and his attributes and how he has worked through humanity. Let's give them a little slack. Sarah laughs because, you know, although I've never experienced a theophany, William, you may have, and you've actually spoken to the, have you? Okay, I haven't. I haven't. Been in the presence of God, literally, I've never had that. And they did, so we got to say, they've actually had quite the experience. But we actually have more information of God, what God's plan is, what God is doing, than Sarah and them had. Nonetheless, they are the wisest people of their generation. Each one of them would say it's impossible. Gather all of our scientists and doctors today and all the learned people, and they would say the exact same thing. There is no way Sarah can bear a child. But the Lord's response is beautiful. The Lord's response is what we need to remember so much today. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there anything too hard for the Lord? If that phrase doesn't cause you to wake up and approach God from a sense of wonder and awe and mystery, then I don't know what will. God chose Abraham not because in Abraham's faith he found God. Abraham definitely wasn't perfect. But because God's grace found Abraham. Sarah put her hope in themselves and tried to provide Abraham with a son another way and not the way God stated. And by the way, Abraham didn't exactly push back on that one, did he? But God's response was not, okay, I'm done with you finished. Y'all just cannot get this right. God's response was, is anything too hard for God? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Put your hope in me. I make promises and I keep those promises. Even when you're unfaithful, I'm faithful. Culture and earthly wisdoms may say that this is impossible, but with me, nothing is impossible. Let's now turn to the New Testament passage today and look at the Lord's response to Martha. When she asked, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. The Lord's response again is is beautiful. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Now again, let us be clear. Martha was not necessarily doing anything wrong. Remember the passage right on the hills of last Sunday's passage. This passage falls right on the hills of last Sunday where we found Jesus talking about the Good Samaritan and the service that you are to to perform. Martha is serving and taking care of the needs of her guests. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this hospitality. Perhaps, though, Martha was worrying more about the service than she was about in whom she was serving. Christ is saying, you can do good things, and you can be a good servant, but right now, Mary knows who I am. Mary is approaching me in a childlike fashion of awe, wonder, love, and mystery. Mary has chosen to feed off my words, even at the expense of possibly being ridiculed, chastised, and persecuted. 
She's chosen to feed off my teachings in the face of what is culturally expected. She's not putting her hope in the culture of her day, but in me, in the living Christ. She is approaching me like a child. She knows that I'm the answer that all history is waiting for. And she's placing her hope in me, not in what the world says she should be placing her hope. This once again brings us to that main question that I keep coming back to. In what or in whom do we place our hope? And please, let's think about that before we answer it. Do we truly approach the Lord in a childlike manner? With all the chaos surrounding us culturally in our world today, do we truly go to the Lord and say, Lord, there's nothing too hard for you. You have this. Do we truly believe that Jesus Christ has already inaugurated his kingdom, sits on the throne, and has fulfilled the covenant of Abraham? Or do we find ourselves placing our hope on other things, maybe? Ourselves, other people, money, our net worth, our retirement, institutions, governments, politicians. I could keep going for quite a long time, but I'll stop there. Do you feel like you have to have an answer for everything that goes on in your life? Do you find yourself laughing at God? Do you feel like Martha, that you're so focused on the service instead of on whom we are to serve? Do you feel too mature, too grown up, too smart to embrace the mysteries found in God's word? We need to be humble enough to realize that God's word contains mysteries that, while absolutely true and we trust in faith, we will never fully comprehend. How is it that God can be fully human and fully divine? I mean, that's, that's beyond comprehension. How is it that he died and was resurrected? That, that's, that's a mystery. How is it that during communion that the bread and the wine at the same time is an outward and physical sign of God's inward and spiritual grace? We are called to have a childlike sense of awe wonder, and mystery when it comes to receiving God's kingdom. This word of God demonstrates God's work through humanity and the signpost pointing to who he is and why we need him. We cannot do it on our own. No human being, no human institution, no human invention, nothing can fulfill God's plan but God. So many things are too great for us. Again, just look at the chaos in the culture surrounding us today. There will be disruptions. That's a certainty. We know that's going to happen. How will we respond to those disruptions? Remember the assurance of God's word. Nothing is too great for the Lord. In fact, he's already conquered sin and death and has inaugurated his kingdom. We have to remember these things. We are to place our hopes and dreams on the risen Christ. We're to serve him and approach him in a childlike manner. Not in the grown-up, I have the answers to everything, and that is impossible manner. The first tangible step in doing this is to prepare our hearts in a childlike manner, full of awe and wonder and excitement, love and mystery, as we come up to the table for communion. We are to share in his death and resurrection, the ultimate sacrifice where he laid down his life for us and was resurrected from the dead, whereby we may now experience his grace, which none of us deserve. Because like children, we make mistakes and will continue to do so until we come back here next Sunday and do the same thing. But the scriptures do not say, is there anything too hard for us to accomplish? Is there anything too hard for my company to accomplish? Is there anything too hard for our government to accomplish? No, it says, is there anything too hard for the Lord? 
So we laugh and even make jokes about Buddy the Elf, but that story is a signpost that captures the essence of a childlike approach to hope. And sadly, even though it is just a myth, it comes closer to the reality than many of our own approaches to the truth. Many times we find ourselves putting our hope on human myths, on human attempts to capture the truth. But they are all like the story of Buddy the Elf missing the point. That is, the Holy Spirit lives within us. Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the light. He's our Savior. He's our King. His kingdom is inaugurated. He desires our childlike approach to the wonder, awe, and mystery of his kingdom, and we are to serve him. There are many mysteries found in these scriptures, but on the question of whom do we place our hope, scripture is crystal clear. We place our hope on the risen Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.